0: I'm Frank Andorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Welcome to another edition of Solar Speaks, Solar Power World's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. Today we're talking to Sonny Ray, Regional Vice President for Renewable Energy for Intertech and the man with the best name in the solar industry. Uh, we're talking to Sunny from the show floor at InterSolar North America 2013 here in San Francisco, where Sunny made a presentation called Non-Standardized Testing for New Technology, Module Designs, and a Review of New Reliability Testing Methods. To be honest, I've talked with Sonny many times before, and I was honestly shocked to see any presentation that he would give have the words non-standardized in the title, so I couldn't wait to talk to him about it. Sonny, welcome back to the program.
1: Thank you.
0: Can you explain to my listeners and and me, uh, why a man who has lobbied strongly for standardized testing, at least throughout the time I've known you, would use such words in the title of his presentation?
1: There's so many new technologies that are coming to the market. And some of the ones that I talked about in my presentation was the, the bifacial modules and the modules where they're using a holographic film between the cells to trap light. So the technologies that are coming out there where they're trying to improve the efficiencies of the modules by using certain non-standard technologies which are not addressed by the standards yet. Standards, as always, are lagging behind technologies. So my presentation was all about how to use ex- existing standards to address the features or the issues related to the newer technology.
0: Not so much a matter of non-standardized testing as much as it is a matter of testing new technologies that that don't have tests yet.
1: Exactly. They don't have tests specifically designed for those technologies. So how to fit the, the new technology products within the limits of these existing standards.
0: So what was the reaction of the audience to the presentation?
1: I think it was very positive. I think there were a few questions that came up on some of some of the ideas that were discussed on how to test these products, like uh, one of the questions that came up in the presentation was about testing the, the bifacial modules, because there's an expectation of higher efficiency from the refractive lights that's hitting the back side of the module. So the question was, what do we test it at? Do we test it with 10% of the light hitting the back, 20% of the light hitting the back, or 30% of the light hitting the back? Because that's all a function of how the module is installed out in the field. But when it comes to the safety standard for us to do the testing, we need to test it under worst case scenarios. Installer needs to be prepared to install it under the worst case scenario because of the way they need to size the wires, the way they need to size the protections and fuses and things like that. They need to compensate for the highest current that's going to come out, which in some cases might not even be limited to 30%. It might even be higher because the module could be installed in such orientation that backside sees a much more significant amount of light than they expected it to. That's on the installation side. And then on the testing laboratory side, there are certain tests, what we call a, a diode test, a short circuit test, or hotspot test, where they're all a function of the total amount of current available within the module. And the amount of light that hits the back changes that total current. So all those tests and the results of those tests change. So that was, so the few questions came back on, so how much light do you test it with? Shouldn't you be testing with 100% of the light hitting the front and the back? So there were discussions back and forth of, is it really possible to have 100% of the light hit the back? And there's also limitations on the test equipment. There are not simulators available that could take a flat plate module. And expose it with 200% light front and back. More of the discussions were along the lines of how do you fit these new technologies within the existing limits of the test equipment as well as the standards. But but it was definitely got got a very good response. A lot of good questions came back and forth on those. And then towards the end, we were discussing the reliability and the quality testing programs that are now out there. How do we? And uh, that definitely had a lot of interest because there's been a lot. I mean, I think that if, if I have to pick it number one topic that's been discussed the most at the show it's been the reliability the the quality and, and how the industry needs to maintain that to not get a black eye and, and, and so so there were a few questions on that as well
0: well that was one of the the things that I noticed from the show is that that article that appeared in the New York Times right. back in May really has been the talk of the show and two months later so I was thinking to myself and wondering why it's still such a hot topic. Well, the truth is Interstellar 2013 is the first industry-wide meeting since the article appeared, so, that's, so I think that's why it's still such a hot topic. We're doing a story on reliability in our SPI issue. Talk to me about the tests, how you test reliability, how you respond to some of the charges made in that article, and what can we do to help solve some of those problems?
1: So I think one of the... the, There are multiple efforts that are going on. And even before that that article that came out in New York Times, there was a lot of discussion among the testing laboratories, among the testing community. And there's actually two different standards-developing efforts that are already on the way, one under the auspices of NREL and one under, as a global standard, under IEC in Europe. And both groups are actually... The NREL group is writing new standards to control reliability or to control quality. And at the same time, the IEC group that had a stand, had standards like 6.1215 for crystalline silicon and 6.1646 6, 6 for tin film as performance standards. But they definitely are not addressing the performance or the failures that we're seeing out in the field. From standards perspective, the efforts were already on the way six months to a year even longer than that, they started about talking about that, writing standards about that. And manufacturers are definitely also very concerned about it. And one of the other things that's happening in the industry lately is a lot of the assets that were installed out there four, five, six, eight years ago are now going through the sale and, and repurchase and changing of guard, changing hands. So the new buyers are very much concerned about what are they buying? Is it really... Mm-hmm performing the way you're supposed to. And then, on top of that, this article comes out about reliability, so the industry gets even more concerned about it. Right. From our perspective, from laboratory's perspective, we're creating test programs where we have the kind of failures that we have seen over years of doing testing on the modules and certifying the modules, because certification creates a level playing field for everybody for some time. Okay, You all have to miss this standard, to meet the regulatory requirements to install in Germany or to install in US and and Canada and all that. So those were the minimum standards you had to meet. What we're doing now is taking the tests that are described in those standards and stressing them even further mm-hmm. so like if a test talks about doing a humidity conditioning on a module for 100 cycles we some we stress it to 250 or 200 and see how the module reacts to that because we know the previous six eight years of testing what are the most severe environment under which the modules mostly fail or the inverters or junction box and other items fail we're we're learning from those failures from the, our labs plus what we're seeing in the field and we're combining that with the existing standard the test described in existing standards and create a test plan that addresses both of those issues still use known test methodologies but expand them a little more based on the type of failures we're seeing out there and in addition to that so you know most laboratories can do that. A lot of the manufacturers are doing that internally. What Intertech does in addition to that is take advantage of our global resources. And what we do in that is do the testing at the laboratory, come up with a baseline, and then create some type of a factory audit process, or in some cases, pre-shipment inspection process, where a buyer could be assured of what's being shipped to them is exactly what they expected or what they, what they ordered. So Intertech having offices in 100 plus countries, have an office close to every factory, around the world that we can actually send our inspectors in there to do the factory inspection and do the pre-shipment inspections and make sure what's being shipped met the requirements of the buyer and what we tested in the field. It also matches what we tested in the field. So it kind of avoids the the part about the bias the laboratory could have with manufacturer and the manufacturer actually submitting some golden samples for testing. So what they what they awesome. submitted for testing, what they what they're producing. We try to avoid. So it's now two different things. Right. So so our program that we discussed at this presentation that and you know we had a few back and forth discussions on from audience is a combination of doing in lab testing, avoiding the golden samples when we do that testing by with a sample selection process, and then follow that up with Factory inspections and factory audit, so you maintain that quality. But
0: how many panel manufacturers actually do tests for reliability? I know they they have to do tests in order to be certified to be installed by right. any number of places. And what effect does that have on the decisions made by installers on what panels to choose for their installation? What do you think the most important criteria should be for installers?
1: To answer your first question, how many manufacturers are doing it? I think if you Ask that question, everybody say they're doing it. Everybody's answer would be, yes, we do that. But to varying degrees, someone would only test it based on the buyer they're selling. So they they look at that as a barrier to sale for that one buyer to that one company. So they would only do the testing that specific to that buyer. And actually, a lot of the buyers prefer that because they they, they don't want this generic data, which already exists. When Mm. somebody did certification to 61215 or 61646, that that base data, that generic data already exists. So depending on module being installed in Florida versus California versus Saudi Arabia or different environments in the world, you do need to do different type of performance tests to see how it's gonna react in that environment. Everybody does it to a different degree. The best criteria that I've seen that works the most is very much along the line of what I just said: is knowing where the modules are being installed, the buyer knowing exactly what the application is going to be, and based on that, taking that environment into consideration and coming up with a with a base test plan for that, and then test to that. Because if someone tested to a to a generic test plan and those modules are installed in one environment, works perfectly, gives you very very good performance. Then six months later, that data might not be good for something that was installed in Arizona versus being installed in Florida, or that was installed in Brazil versus being installed in Africa or, or South uh, South Africa or something, you know. Or, or it's a so test plans that are designed for a specific group. It also, you know, th- those are the best, and it also helps you control the cost because then, then you're just looking directly, okay, this is the installation, you do limited amount of testing for that installation, and the, the factory inspections the things that I was talking about earlier, those could also be limited. So you're not always in a factory inspection program or you're always in an inspection or pre-ordered program or, or shipment program. You're doing them based on the shipments, where they're going, when they're going, so you also limit some of the costs there. I
0: keep hearing, and, and Shale Khan, who... I have a great deal of respect for says that 2014 to 2016 will be the golden age for solar in the United States that between now and then when the ITC is scheduled to expire that that's going to be where we boom what role does testing and certification play
1: in helping to facilitate that boom I think it goes back to the quality I mean testing can help ensure that you have the right type of products available in the market you have the reliable products available in the market so because you don't want that's the best role. We have played the role of making sure you meet the regulatory requirement, the safety requirement to make sure it's ready to be connected to the grid. It's ready to be sitting on my roof or your roof. It's not going to burn my house down or something or shock my dog or cats or kids or, or something. We've done that. That's where we started out. Those, That's where the safety standards were we were testing to for so many years. But now we also need to worry about the fact that all these programs are successful. We're not just putting the money out there or financing these programs, they're also long-term viable programs because the expectation is that these modules are going to last 25 years, whether they're out in a commercial installation or they're sitting on our roofs. That's the role that laboratories are in now, that in addition to just making sure they're safe and meet the regulatory requirement or the law, we're also testing to make sure they are going to provide the type of return we were expecting, type of benefits that we were expecting from that. And I think that's why there's such a big uh, buzz about the reliability and quality
0: and all that. One last question. Somebody said to me this morning, and it's a point that really anybody with an intuition should have thought of, but I'm ashamed to say I hadn't thought of it before, is that everything fails. The more solar we install, everybody's warranting for 25 years, But eventually, those things are going to fail. When they fail in the future, there is a concern, I think, about what happens at that point. Because by the time those fail, let's say they last 20 years or 20... Let's say they last the whole warranty, 25 years, and then they start to degrade. By that point, maybe the equipment won't be standardized for the system that... Because because the, the assumption is the technology will continue to advance... And will you have something that can replace the stuff that you installed 25 years ago that will still be compatible with the panels you have and the whatever? Uh, Inverters would be the the example I'm using there. Do you have any concerns about that, first of all? And second of all, is that something that we as an industry, in your opinion, need to be thinking about? Um, Because what I'm I'm concerned will happen is that at that point, two things will happen. One, when systems start to fail just because they're old. The industry will take a, a black eye from which it will never recover because a lot of these things will there there'll be a lot of failures at the same time. So that's one thing. So the public relations part of that is a very big concern for me. So do you have those concerns and is there something that we should do as an industry to help prevent yeah, that from happening?
1: So I think that's a that's a valid concern. I don't I have not seen any activity around that in the industry. And I kind of understand why. Because people are more concerned right now about failures five to seven years into installation or nobody's really thinking about that 25-year part yet because everybody's still like, okay, let's save what we have in front of us right now. Let's not get a black eye right now because of things failing out in the field five years into installation. I mean, I've had examples without naming anybody where People have sent pictures to us from the field on modules installed less than three years that are having failures and we're getting pictures saying, can you help us do testing on this to identify, is this, they're really looking for liability, is this a manufacturing process problem that you can you can help us diagnose or, or is it an installation problem? And We're already getting those, those modules, those issues sent back to us from the field on modules that perfectly pass the certification requirements And again, certification was never meant to test products for 25 years. It were meant to make sure you met the law and the regulatory requirement that existed as of today. And most of the standards that are out there, IEC or UL, were originally written in the 1970s. We are in the process of revising standards. We're working on it. A lot of new standards are being written, but that's when they were written. So everything was tested for that purpose. I don't think there's much emphasis in the industry right now. Maybe that will be the next step that we'll work on as we get closer to that. But right now the biggest concern is the things that are failing five, six, seven, two, three years into installation. And first they're trying to avoid that right now and discussing those quite a bit. I was at the reception last night and the gentleman who was presenting talked about asked the audience, Did anybody know where the twenty five year warranty came from? And what his understanding was it was who came up very was the first one to come up with a 25-year warranty. And when someone asked them, how did you come up with 25-year warranty? The answer was, oh, marketing came up with it. There was no scientific fact behind the original 25-year warranty that has now spread all across the, the industry. From testing laboratories' perspective, from standards' perspective, I don't know that the intention was there that these things gonna be tested or warranted for 25 years, but definitely the standards, the way we test, the way we write, when we talk about safety or or you know, make, meeting the regulatory compliance, we do look at the life of the product. So, so they do get tested on accelerated aging and everything. But the biggest concern right now the industry has is the things that are failing today after four, five, seven years of installation. And nobody's really thinking about 25-year failures. And maybe they, they should be very soon. Once they get over this, this immediate concern that for a lot of lack of better relationship, the New York Times article have really brought to the forefront this show. I'm sure they'll start thinking about the, the, the things when uh, these things, these products, starts to decommission 20 years from now, 25 years from now. How you going to replace them? What you going to do with them?
0: Uh, the, I remember the other point I was going to make is that at the end of that life cycle, what what is a concern is the fact that the companies that own those installations are then going to have to essentially rip out the installation and reinstall it at that point if the technologies are no longer compatible 25 years into the future. And I'm concerned financiers are going to look at that and, and
1: say, well, why the heck would we do that? If I can understand the, the financier's point of view, what I've seen out there, I think once they got their ROI in the five, 10, 15 years, that's a completely different calculation on what it costs to take this one out and put the new one in and what my ROI is going to be on that. I don't think, you know, I, I, so personally, I don't think they're concerned about it right now. The way I have seen the discussions going between the between the financial guys and the, the project developing group, they're looking at okay, do I get my three-year return, five-year return, and after that, how much can I sell it for and change hands and let that be the next guy's problem or something. <laughs> I, I've been I've been very blunt, honest about how that. That seems to be playing out there. Sure. And that's why we're getting pulled into these projects that are already changing hands, that are out there for three, four, five years, that are being resold, that are changing hands, where the new buyer's concern is, am I really buying what I'm expecting to buy, even though it's not an evaluation of a brand new module coming from the manufacturing facility, but they still want us to go out and evaluate what's been sitting out in the field for five years to see, is it still performing the way it was supposed to? Is it going to fail within two years or... or you know, so we are actually being asked to go out into the field and do some of that testing.
0: Sonny, it's always great to catch up with you at these shows. You're always an informative interview. If people want to know more about Intertech and how to get a hold of you or any members of your team, how would they do that?
1: The easiest way is to go to our website, intertech.com backslash renewables. So you can get to the specifically to the Renewable page. We're mostly at every show. That's another way of finding us, and we're at... at all standards development activities, we chair some of those, we participate in all of them. So I think uh, between standards development and our website, I think very easy to find. us.
0: We've been speaking with Sonny Ray, Regional Vice President for Renewable Energy for Intertech from Intersolar North America. Sonny was a speaker here, and as you just heard, has a lot more thoughts, much broader than what he discussed here at the show. This has been Solar Speaks, Solar Power World Magazine's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. I'm Frank Andorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Until next time.